Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. During this episode, we'll hear tips to increase empathy as well as de-escalation strategies. We'll also listen back to an interview with a tribal member who was an Olympic synchronized swimmer at the 2012 London Games and hear a cosmological story from the CPN language department. Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Workforce Development and Social Services Department welcomed employees and the larger Potawatomi County community for three sessions of empathy and de-escalation training this February. The shortest distance between a person is empathy, to be able to stand by them, to be able to listen to them, to say, I hear you, to say, I see you, These words, spoken by CPN's Safe and Stable Families Education Counselor, Jamel Payne, echoed through the tribe's Cultural Heritage Center. Attendees from a variety of backgrounds came to the sessions at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and noon. Each one began and ended with song as Oklahoma Baptist University musical arts major Brock Brown performed Stand By Me and Lean On Me. When the night has come and the land is During the first session, Brown made the spontaneous decision to have everyone join him in singing, something he continued in the other two sessions as well. I mean, I did, it, that, nah, that was just a heat of the moment thing, the spur of the moment. I'm like, nobody is moving. I don't like that. So, like, we need, so I'm like, and plus, we, all, we need the interaction with one another. As you stand, stand by me. To offer tools for building empathy and de-escalation skills, Payne invited Tracy Rader from Giant, a leadership development company that works with clients all over the world. The company has more than 900 certified coaches who teach leadership tools like the ones taught at the CHC. During each session, Rader talked about what defines empathy and how to have a healthy balance, neither to be too empathetic and take on everyone's troubles, nor to have an unempathetic attitude and brush others and their problems away. In discussing some of the strategies, she said a good place to start learning empathy is by asking what she calls a profound question. What is it like to be on the other side of you? Have you ever thought of that? What does it feel like? What's the experience from someone else on the other side of your desk or in your classroom or in a meeting with you? What is that like? The question and answer can help create a high trust environment where a family member, coworker, or friend feels comfortable giving feedback. One of the first strategies she discussed for finding a healthy balance of empathy was to quote, know yourself to lead yourself. Here's what a healthy perspective of empathy will do. It will keep you from burnout. If you're over there on the 10 scale, it's gonna help you from burnout because you will uh, smother yourself if you're not careful with the needs of the world. It will increase your influence in your relationships with coworkers, with patients, with clients, whatever industry you're in. 
It will increase your influence with relationships if you can learn an appropriate balance of being empathetic toward people. Um, number three, it will bolster your communication with others because they're gonna know that you're caring and that you know it's a two-way conversation. They're gonna ask about you, you're gonna ask about them. And then finally, you'll see I've cited a, a study, there's a bajillion studies out there about the bottom line and how, how it works in that you will get increased patient, client, customer satisfaction if you create an environment where all the staff or all the employees have a heart and they have an emotional connection with people around them. Rader said this lifelong strategy starts with being aware of things a person might want to change about themselves and then noting the tendencies and patterns that would need to change to improve that behavior. She uses strategies and self-awareness to achieve a healthy empathetic balance in her everyday life. I actually calendar in the first 30 minutes of my day when I'm at the office to not have any meetings and no projects because I know myself to leave myself and I know that my natural tendency is to walk in the office, sit at my desk and start going because I love to get things done. Well, nobody, nobody feels connected to me if I do that. So I now calendar in no meetings, nothing so that I can walk in and go, how is your daughter? I know that she had the flu. Is she better? And I, I build that into my system for myself so that I've started to learn empathy more. During the second part of the presentation that focused on de-escalation, Rader said people often don't feel heard, valued, or understood, especially when other factors such as personal stress or mental health issues are at play. When this happens, she recommended compassionately listening both to someone's needs and feelings, giving them personal space, and using a gentle tone and body language. Rader also taught attendees what she called the communication code to help understand and provide the type of communication someone is looking for. The thought behind the code is that people often seek a specific type of feedback when speaking with others. It breaks down five responses people might desire, critique, collaborate, clarify, care, or celebrate. You can communicate through critique. No one really likes that, by the way. Just hint, hint. Uh, that means, uh, ask me really hard questions. Tell me why this won't work. Very seldom does someone actually ask for critique, but there are times when I'm working on something, I go, listen, I'm going to turn this in. Would you go through it and just like critique the heck out of it? Like, tell me what's not going to work. Please, please. I'm, I'm asking, right? Okay. Then there's collaborate. That means shape this with me. Will you build this with me? I'm getting stuck. Let's talk through this and make it better. Then there's clarify. Let me, let me just make sure I understand ask some questions, have some patience as I explain, right? That's, that's clarifying. Then there's care, where you create a really safe place for someone and you're not trying to give them answers, you're not gonna work it out for them, you're just there to listen and be present. And finally, there's celebration. Hey, would you uh, celebrate this success with me? For example, if someone has finished a big project and wants to celebrate, they may not appreciate critique, even with good intentions. By thinking about which of the five things is wanted before responding, a person can help avoid conflict. Every person walks in with baggage and hurt and trauma and great things too to celebrate. And so if we'll just take the time to think outside of ourselves and really take time to think, what, what is that? What's happening in that person's world? We could solve a lot of issues <laughs> that we're having in this world, right? If we would just be more empathetic toward one another. 
Payne said the training was needed, and that was evidenced in part by the variety of people who showed up to learn, including representatives from schools in the area and Shawnee, Oklahoma Mayor Ed Bolt, as well as several city employees, from those working with the unhoused to organizations like Visit Shawnee. It's something of every department needs, and that's love, because we know what it feels like to receive it, but sometimes we forget what it feels like to give it whenever someone else isn't giving it to us. Felicia Lowe with local business 6L Mechanical took part in the training, and she said one of her favorite tools was thinking about how others see her. I know you never really think about how, I know how I see them or how I think I'm being, but how do they see me? What's it like to be across from my desk? The Empathy and De-Escalation training is part of the CPN Lunch and Learn event series. For more information about workforce development and social services, visit cpn.news backslash workforce or call 405-878-3854. In this episode, we're going back in time with a clip from The Native American Speaks, a former radio show from Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department and KGFF. It ran from 2006 to 2013 with host Michael Dotson, previous Public Information Department Director. In this clip, Dotson interviews CPN tribal member and Olympic synchronized swimmer Mary Kilman in September 2012. She represented the United States as the country's only synchronized swimming team at the London 2012 Olympics, 100 years after CPN descendant Jim Thorpe was the first Native American athlete to earn Olympic gold at the 1912 Games in Stockholm, Sweden. Dotson talked with Kilman shortly after her return from competition. You are a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for this time. We deeply appreciate it. No problem at all. (laughs) To reach the level you are at, it takes dedication every day every day for just that little bit of extra improvement that takes you from that one level of being a very good amateur up to where you are the best in the world or at least good enough to earn a living at what you're doing. That is, that is very true. You know, we, I've earned the point to be able to call myself an Olympic athlete and it has not come easy. We practice eight to 10 hours a day. We're in the pool twice a day for four hours each. We have weight workouts. We're practicing six days a week and the practice doesn't end at the pool. We go home, we're still doing work. You know, it's it's a full-time job and to be able to get to any elite level, you know, you have to be so dedicated to what you're doing that you almost don't have time for anything else. Synchronized swimming mm-hmm. in the United States, your discipline is in a valley at this point. You and Maria Koroleva, your duets partner, were the only U.S. synchronized swimmers mm-hmm. competing at the London Olympics. Do you and Maria, have some sort of a duty to help pull the U.S. back to where it was, put it on a competitive level. Just because we were the only two athletes from America to be able to represent our sport, you know, it's it's an honor in its own. And then, you know, this was the first time that the U.S. team did not qualify for the Olympic Games since synchronized swimming has been in the Olympic Games. So it was kind of a a bittersweet reunion kind of thing with my teammates. You know, I'm sad that they didn't make it, but I'm very happy for us too. And so, you know, I've kind of looked at it as being able to come back. I've been through a lot to get to where I've been. And as you said, synchro is in a valley right now. It's kind of at a low. It's having to learn how to rebuild itself. And, you know, hopefully it won't stay in a valley. Hopefully it'll come back. Um, The powers that be will be able to 
figure out what we're doing correctly, what we're doing wrong, and be able to kind of fix that. And a little bit later, you know, once I'm outside of my athletics, once I'm no longer competing, I can kind of look back at my own experiences and go, okay, well, this worked, this didn't, this is how they did it then. Well, how are we doing it now? What's, what's different? And so it's kind of, it'll be able to help me a lot later in life. Describe synchronized swimming for me. What is it? I guess in short terms, it is ballet, gymnastics, cheerleading, done in the water while holding your breath. It's a very abstract kind of sport. And, you know, we're, we're constantly performing, but we're working so hard to make it look as easy as absolute possible. And, you know, they, a lot of people don't understand what goes on under the water because they only see what's above water, you know, the smiling faces, or if we're upside down, like our legs going absolutely crazy in positions that people probably are not meant to be in. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's something that I've loved, just to be able to do something that not anyone else can do. The twin cams that NBC used, I loved them and then I'm not so sure about them. You mentioned that a lot of the mystique or a lot of the appeal mm -hmm. of synchronized swimming has been that uh, you don't know what's going on under the water and you see all of the beauty, the ballet that's going on with two or more people in mm -hmm. synchronization above the water. That twin cam technology that NBC debuted with this year's Olympics, melding two video streams mm -hmm. into one great picture, it shows us what you synchronized swimmers are doing below the water surface, and that's great. We now know more about what it takes to do what you do above the water, mm -hmm. but does it also at the same time maybe pierce that veil and, let, and do away with a little bit of the mystique? by the fact that you now know that we know what you're doing below the water. I mean, yes and no. You know, it does kind of look a lot easier than it actually is. And from both angles, you know, even looking underwater, we don't really look like we're doing much, but we're working really hard. Yes, you are. And Or if we're head up, it's a little more obvious because our legs are constantly moving and you're trying to figure out what's going on. But, you know, it's still kind of proof that we're not touching the bottom. We're practicing in at least nine feet of water. I practice almost every day in a diving well, which is 17 feet. Mm -hmm. So there's no touching the bottom, you know, in, in, even in the teams. They're not touching the bottom to throw girls up in the air, you know, six, 10 feet in the air. And so it does kind of help our sport in the sense that it is very pretty. It's very artistic, um, but it takes a lot more than people realize. Uh, what other uh, sports have you participated in? Um, I mean, I started in competitive swimming and racing. Did that for probably about 10 years, four of which I was also doing synchronized swimming. At one point, I had, I was taking like a jazz dance class. A couple of things about your athleticism. One, that you are able to elevate out of the water higher than a lot of other synchronized mm -hmm. swimmers. And another, and let's explore it first, you don't wear a nose clip. <laughs> no, I don't. How are you able to get away with that, prevent Waters, you're upside down quite frequently while you're in the water, uh, four, three or four feet deep at least, mm -hmm. maybe deeper. Lots of practice, um, but you know, I've, I actually, to be perfectly honest, I make a lot of funny faces underwater, um, and a lot of people have actually, now that they've had the underwater camera, have been able to capture that. It's a really entertaining picture. <laughs> at what point did you think, did you realize that Mary Kilman had a shot at reaching this level of athletic accomplishment? I mean, I've always, I've always aimed for the Olympic Games. You know, it's the highest honor that an amateur athlete can reach. Uh, when I got to synchronized swimming, I was probably about 13. I won an age group nationals, and I was from a little, little club in Texas. You know, the Pirouettes of Texas helped me a lot. And they 
I won an age group national solo as the youngest person in my age group. And that is the furthest thing from anyone's mind when you go into a competition. And I kind of looked at it and, okay, well, I had to make a decision, you know, am I going to stick with this and see if I can get further. And if I wanted to do that, I needed to move to California. I needed to go train with, you know, a four-time Olympic head coach and be able to try and reach for the Olympic Games. And, you know, I kind of made the decision of I'm second in the state in swimming, but I'm now first in the nation in synchro. Which way do I want to go? What was your favorite part? of London. What are the memories you that will remain with you when you're 68 years old? I mean, opening ceremonies was absolutely amazing. You know, that being, you know, my first and hopefully not my last Olympic Games. Um, you know, you walk in and there are so many people, you can't even see them. It's like a blur and kind of just like a bunch of dots in the crowd. And um, for opening ceremonies, it was dark. So, you know, there was all these stadium lights kind of shining at you. There's confetti everywhere. You're walking in representing your country and you're surrounded by at least 400 other athletes also representing your country. And it's just like a feeling that you can't really get anywhere else. And, you know, they walk you around the stadium and then you're kind of in this mosh pit in the middle with all of the other athletes and from all the other countries, and you kind of look around and you realize you're among the best of the best. Like, it doesn't get any better than this. You said that you drew inspiration mm -hmm. from Jim Thorpe. Citizen Potawatomi Olympians, a hundred years apart. Talk about that a little bit, if you would. Honestly, when I was younger, I didn't even know who he was. And I ended up doing a paper on Jim Thorpe. It was, you know, a, a famous athlete that you could possibly look up to. And, I remember sitting in front of my computer and going, I have no idea. Like, what do I do? And it was actually my dad that brought it up. It's like, well, why don't you go look up Jim Thorpe? I kind of just remember sitting there and going, oh my gosh, like, this is so cool. Like, the more I kind of researched, the more I kind of became inspired of just like how he was able to kind of go against a lot of different things and still be able to become the athlete that he did. And, you know, so it was kind of a proof that, you know, you can, you can do whatever you put your mind to. And I've kind of held that with me throughout the years. You know, I've constantly kind of gone back to it. And then for this Games in 2012, when they started kind of picking up on how I am Potawatomi, on my Native American Indian heritage, they kind of pointed out, they're like, well, exactly 100 years ago, this was Jim Thorpe's Games. You know, how does, how does that relate? And... You know, again, it just kind of comes back to, well, congratulations, here's 100 years later. What you put your mind to, you can always do. In the years since this aired, Mary Kilman continued to swim competitively. She began college and became a three-time U.S. Collegiate National Champion in 2013, 2014, and 2015. She also earned the U.S. National Champion title four years in a row from 2013 to 2016 and was named the U.S. Synchro Athlete of the Year in 2014. Kilman now has her bachelor's degree in business administration. To learn more, visit marykilman.com. It's time for learning language when the CPN Language Department joins us to teach vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. Language Department Director Justin Neely tells us a story connected to the stars and constellations. Bonjour, Jayak. So I wanted to share a little bit of our uh, cosmology with you today, uh, talk about some of these stars and some of the meanings to some of the stars. Uh, we have a number of stories that talk about why certain stars or constellations are the way they are. We have a story about why the bear has a long or has a short tail today, but long ago had a long tail. 
There's another one, Ojiknagos, which is the Fisher Star, and that's the story I'm going to tell you uh, today. So a long time ago, it was cold down on Earth, and a lot of these animals were getting together, and they wanted to get up into the sky because they realized it was it was warm up in the sky. And the sky people, they kind of hoarded the, that warm weather and kind of kept it all for themselves. And the people down on Earth were, were quite cold. They'd been living through a very cold period of time. And so a couple of the animals got together, the, the wolverine and the uh, bijou, the wildcat, and the ojik, the fisher. And if you've never seen a fisher, um, it's not an actual, it's not a bird, it's not a fisher bird. It's like a, a little bit like a weasel. Kind of live up, uh, up in Ontario, Canada, and maybe a little bit into Michigan. I'm not sure how far down their range goes. So these animals, they all got together and they decided they were going to break into the sky world and get a little of that warm weather and bring it back. So first they climbed up this mountain and they got as close to the sky as they could get. Then that wolverine jumped up and he kind of bopped his head on the on the, on the the sky and kind of fell back down and kind of knocked himself out. And then uh, Bajot, the wildcat, jumped up and hit his head. And then he kind of cracked it where there was a little bit of an opening now where they could kind of get up there. And so then Fisher and Bijot the wildcat, they, they kind of jumped up and, and got up there in the sky world. And they looked around, and it was a beautiful place. The weather was warm. It was delightful. If you can imagine, like a sunny 70 in Florida kind of weather. And there were birds that were caged up because the sky people had kind of collected the birds and kind of caged them up and had them in there. And they looked around, and they saw them off in the distance. They were playing, having a good time, enjoying the beautiful weather. There were, there were flowers and all kinds of wonderful stuff going on up there. They kind of went over and they decided, well, we're going to release these birds and let them go. So they went over, they released the birds, and the birds flew through that hole and kind of took off and, and went back down. And then they started to kind of make their way back down. And they realized, though, even though some of that warm weather was or that warmth was kind of making its way through that hole, if they didn't make the hole bigger, the sky people would be able to repair that hole pretty easily. And that would be that. And maybe they'd get an extra day of, of nice weather, if you will. And then it would be closed up and cold again. Bujot, the wildcat, he went on through, but the fisher, Ojik, he kind of stopped for a minute. He really used his claws and he, he really dug at that hole and broke at it and made it made it much bigger, made it so that it would be almost impossible for them to repair in a timely manner. It would take them quite some time to actually repair it. Well, at this point, the sky people who'd been kind of playing off the distance had come back towards their wigwams, come back to their homes and were looking around and they noticed that the birds weren't in their cages. And they were like, wait a minute, what's going on? They kind of looked around a little more and they noticed and they saw the fisher over there really working hard to break that hole up. And they said, hey, Gago, Gago Zizkakani, don't do that. You know, Kogan, get out of here, Kogan. They went and they got their tugwab, their their bows, and then they got their uh, their nipin, their arrows. And they went and they started shooting at that, that fisher with them. And he's kind of ducking them, still trying to break the hole and whatnot up. Finally, one of them hits him and he's just got kind of finished breaking the hole up but they got him with an arrow right into the heart and so the blood started leaking out and the poor fisher he just kind of he kind of died right there at that moment but the creator was watching what was going on Mamogosnan and really wanted to to recognize the fisher for his bravery and for his sacrifice realizing that he did that for all the people so that everyone down earth would have a have a beautiful warm period of time a spring if you will kind of immortalized that fisher and he took him and he placed him up in the stars and so today the Fisher Star exists up in those constellations, uh, Ojik Nagos. And I believe, if I recall correctly, and I'm, I'm bad with my astronomy a little bit, but I believe he's part of the Big Dipper. And uh, we have a lot of stories about the sky. I mean, um, Jibe, uh, Jibe Meow is the Milky Way, and they say that's the path that spirits travel for four days when they pass on. 
And then we have stories about like one quiet gizik, the hole in the sky. And they say there's a hole in the sky up there, kind of a portal between the spirit realm and the everyday realm of man, if you will. Ow. Yo. For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memorize. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Please click the subscribe button and leave us a rating. And share the show with your family and friends. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Miigwech Nikanek, Mamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.